WWE Universe, the DLU Podcast is now a brand affiliate of WWEShop.com. That's right. Get all of your latest merchandise from your favorite WWE superstars and wear them proud. So whether it's CM Punk, Randy Orton, L.A. Knight, Rhea Ripley, Seth Rollins, the Tribal Chief himself, Roman Reigns, and legends like Bret the Hitman Hart, The Rock, and Stone Cold Steve Austin, and so many more. Did I mention championship belts? That's right. Get all of your favorite championship belts through the years, including that favorite Spinner WWE Championship. But also, if you're an NFL fan, you can get your very own team championship belt. If you're a Cowboys fan, if you're a Cleveland Browns fan, heck, if you're an LA Rams fan, it doesn't matter. The WWE shop will have your belt for you. So once again, go to the link that's in the description and you can go to the DLU podcast, wweshop.com affiliate page where you can get all of your favorite merchandise. Get yours now. This podcast is a Believe Network and Luciete production. edition of the Tulu Podcast, brought to you by Blue Network. I'm your host, Derek T. Lewis, and I hope the week is treating you great. I'm just going to get right into it right now. Um, This interview that I did um, for this episode is one of the coolest ones that I ever get a chance to do. You know, I had an opportunity to do a sit-down interview, an exclusive interview with my very own mother, who was the former lead singer of an R&B group called The Pretenders, Valerie Lewis. Um... When I tell you all that a lot of things I know about music, you know, has a lot to do with my mom, as well as my dad, too. But especially my mom that had so much music around the house that I was able to really teach, you know, to learn and understand so much. And we talk about her early stages, you know, in in childhood, how she discovered music for the first time, her first record player, um, how she listened to Motown for the first time being on the East Coast and how she became the lead singer of The Pretenders. Let's not wait any longer. My interview with my mom, Valerie Lewis, starts right now. Well, ladies and gentlemen, uh, this is going to be one of the coolest interviews that I get to do in my uh, podcasting career and uh, just my career entertainment. Um, the woman that I'm interviewing today not only uh, gave me a... Um, a deep education in music, you know, growing up, but this is the woman that gave birth to me. But the coolest thing is, is when I was younger, I uh, found out that I not only was my father involved in the music industry, but my mother was too. She was the lead singer of the pretenders and not to be confused with the group, the pretenders that came out in the eighties. They were from uh, Europe, I believe, but she's here with us today. My mom, the one and only Valerie Lewis, Thank you so much for joining the DLU podcast. How are you? I'm fine. How are you? I'm, this is, again, I'm beyond excited to do this out of every, you know, episode that I've done, you know, since I relaunched this uh, podcast about a year ago, you know, this is the one I was looking forward to and, you know, to, to, to really give it a jump in regards to what we want to talk about today is really covering, you know, the few years that you were in the music industry and, what you were able to accomplish from that, 
your story was never told. And I felt as though as much as, you know, I tout about my dad's accomplishments in, in music and I do mention yours, I feel as though that this needs to be told and just from your lens, not from mine, but from yours. So every story has has its beginning. Mine's not mine. Of course, I'm not the only one, of course, but just wanted to talk about life growing up in Newark, New Jersey as a child. So what was your life growing up, typical growing up in New Jersey? Well, like you said, I grew up in the city of Newark um, during the 50s, 60s. And life for, for me was, you know, was really great. The city of Newark was was a flourishing town, uh, you know, during those times. I mean, you had a lot of industry in, in the city and um, a lot of integration, you know, where I lived anyway. So, you know, growing up in Newark was, you know, was really great. And, you know, I had good times. You know, I had a lot of friends. Uh, I grew up um, going to uh, Newark Public Schools. I went to, uh, oh, my goodness, uh, Avon Avenue School and then on to Clinton Place Junior High at that time and on to Southside High School, you know, um, graduated in 1965 and um, bulldogs, bulldogs, bow, wow, wow. So, you know, it was, it was fun times, you know, it was good times. Awesome. Awesome. So what was the earliest memories you have of music? You know, do you, do you, can you recall, you know, the first artist that you heard and what was it that captivated you as a, as a music fan during, especially in the 1950s? Oh, wow. Uh, well, you know, it's a funny thing. Um, your grandma, my mother, mm -hmm. I had a small record player during mm -hmm. those days, in mm -hmm. the early 1950s. And I remember uh, Shirley Temple, the good ship lollipop. Mm, okay, talk about that for a little bit. Um, you know, it was just a little record player, you know, you and it was vinyl, you know. Folks right. don't know too much about vinyl, but it they're was actually vinyl. making a comeback. Actually, just for the record, vinyl is making its comeback, and more people are just buying it for the pure nostalgia. Right? Go ahead. Yeah, but that's what we had during those days. Right. There, there was nothing else. Um, the, the 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 actual record itself was. Uh, colored red and you know put it on and she'd be saying on oh, the good ship it's a nice trip to the candy shop where bonbons play you know so i remember singing during those days um i remember r&b singers uh del reese I can't recall the name of the song that she did uh, at that time but i remember del reese Patty Page, um, you know, singers in that caliber, uh, you know, mostly, you know, your what was pop music during those times. Uh, um, so I grew up with music, knowing music, listening to music, and I always loved to sing. And whatever I heard, um, I kind of imitated the artist. Um, Della Reese, I hear the sound of music, your greatest kind of music, and that reminds me, dear, of you, dear. If there could be no roses, no something, 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 you know, kind of roses. <laughs> right, 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 right. You know, 
but I I grew up listening to that music and uh, uh, really trying to adopt the sound. I remember Ella Fitzgerald, uh, the Tisket a Tasket, a gray uh, and yellow basket. You know, so those things. You know. Um, you know, I hold dear to my heart. I, I hold on to those, you know, to those memories and and those legendary um, black female singers during that time. And, mm-hmm. and even, you know, our white sisters uh, during that time, they it, it, it was about music. Right. You know, and it was it was good for me and music, um, you know, is good for anybody. So if you take the time just to listen. Absolutely, absolutely. So you mentioned artists like Della Reese and Ella Fitzgerald. Now, were there some others, other favorites that you had, you know, during those times where you were able to say, you know, that's somebody? Because obviously how you consume music during during those during those years was a much, much different than by the time my generation came around. There was no music videos back then. There was, you know, what I mean, so basically it was like either the record player or the radio. So. Who were some of the ones that you latched on to as you were growing up? Some ones that were around in your age group that you listened to? Oh, Sarah Vaughn was, you know, was another. Um, also, uh, Billy Eckstein. Mm. You know, I'm, I'm going way back into, you know, early, early um, kind of jazzy kind of stuff. You okay. know, uh, Billy Eckstein, uh, Sarah Vaughn. These people were were uh, Billie Holiday. You know, she was still hanging around there. Um, you know, and it was it was just good music. You know, um, you could understand what they were saying. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it was right. just good music. I remember uh, Count Basie. Um, you know, the musician, uh, you know, the count, you know, he'd get on those ivories and he'd go to work. Uh, Lionel Hampton with the vibes. And, you know, I mean, these were musicians and you learned that I, although I never played an instrument, but you, you accepted and, 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 and loved music for what it was and what it gave and what it generated. You know, certain sounds you would hear. Even today, I listen to music and I can I can hear what the bass is doing. I love a bass. You know, mm. what the bass line is doing, what, what the guitar is doing, and, and listening to the drummer and what he is actually doing. You know, so I've learned to appreciate, you know, music, you know, and it's worth it. Yeah. That's incredible to say because I have that same you know, type of characteristic when it comes to, to music as well, because a lot of times I pay attention to certain elements of a song, especially if it's the first time that I'm hearing it, and I don't care what genre it is. Because to, to be honest, the bass, I think, is is the, the to me the meat and bones of the, the melody. It carries the melody carries in there. You know, it carries it because yeah. a lot of times that's the that's the melody the part of the, the song that you're gonna remember most is the bass line. Yeah. People don't give the basses that much credit, though. You know, you hear what the horn might be doing, you know, the piano, you know, but that bass line, he's... 
Yeah. He's carrying it through and he's evening everything out and he's he's giving room for all the other instrumentation to do what yeah. they have to do. But he's laying back there in the cut and he's dealing, you know. So I love a good bass line. I'll give you an example, Mom. Mm-hmm. The the one of the most iconic bass lines that people still love today is Billy Jean. So everybody, because yeah. the minute that people hear that, it's right. like, oh man, Billy, it's, it's it's just one of those things, those like iconic bass lines that you're always going to remember, you know what I mean? Yeah. Now, you were talking about when you said you were imitating more or less what you heard mm-hmm. when you were singing. Right. Now... Were there, did you take any lessons or you were just, this is just more or less raw talent from your end. You just be, just having that raw talent to just do what you've, uh, I guess, some of the things that you heard that you were able to carry out. No, I never had voice lessons. You know, I never had any kind of voice lessons. I, I would just say that it was a gift um, and, and it was just something that I could hear and I would just try to imitate what I was listening to. Right. Yeah, so, it, it, no, I never had any voice lessons. You know, never had any voice lessons at all. Now, you know, obviously growing up, um, when I when I said in the beginning of this, this interview that, you know, I had a free education, you know, in, in music, you know, that's, that's, that's uh, factual facts. Because you had so many 45s, you had so many <laughs> records, EPs, LPs, and things oh, of that nature. Yeah. So, in the consumption of music during that time, how were you, how, how was that for you? Because growing up in the obviously growing up in you know, in the fifties and in the high school years in the sixties, how was that for you in being able to consume as much music as you did? I just loved it. You know, we we had a you know I remember in fifth or sixth grade sitting down at the table in the kitchen and and writing down a song um those are the bells those are the bells that i hear ringing those are the bells ding dong ding 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 dong ding ding <laughs> and had a little had a little group it was myself and um and Jerry, of course, you know. And, Aunt Jerry, and, and, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. and, and another guy in our class, I think his name was Willie, I can't remember his last name. And we would, you know, get in the living room for about 10 minutes and we'd do that and everybody would rush out and go home. <laughs> right. Know? But it, it's, for me, it's, it's going back because I, it was just something that, it was in my soul. Mm. And even to today, uh, rather than just you know watching a movie or something, I, I find myself you know putting on uh, some music. I'd rather listen to music than to watch television. Wow, that's that's incredible. That's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. So, at what age did it you know pop into your mind mm-hmm. of wanting to one day be in the music industry as a singer? Like when was that? When that light bulb went off, it said, you know what? I could see myself doing that. I could see myself doing what I see, whether on television or things you've heard on the radio or records that you've heard. The Elephant's Gerald you talked about, Della yeah, Reese. Going, going, going back to that. Uh, really? I could, yeah, I mean, it was just music has always been embedded in me. 
I've, I've just, it's something that I've loved. Um, I mean, down right down to, to, even down to commercials. I mean, you know, and, and listening to, you know, because I go back to, uh, I don't know if you remember. No, you wouldn't remember. But, <laughs> but, um, does uh, soap detergent, and, and when um, soap operas was 15 minutes long, you know that's why they call them soaps because you know the 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 uh, it was always the soap advertisements that was right there. So does does you know that was the slogan for so it, it's just certain things. I just remember those things and I cherish those moments and those days. You know because they, they were good. They were actually wow. good. Yeah. Now as we're entering into the into the sixties now, and obviously. Was in 1959, I believe, was the uh, the birth of the juggernaut out of Detroit, Michigan, called Motown. And we talk about the iconic artists that came out of that. And when you talk about Marvin Gaye, mm-hmm. we talk about Smokey Robinson and the Miracles, mm-hmm. Martha and the Vandellas, I believe, mm-hmm. the Supremes, yes. uh, the 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 Temptations. The, the list goes on and on. Mm-hmm. So again. There was no social media back then. There was no music videos in, in everything. But how how did Motown make its way around during it? Because this again, this is an education for me because I find that as great as that that label was, and I think it still is, mm-hmm. because they're they're revered to this day because of what Barry Gordy saw his vision of not just them being the best black artist, but them being the greatest artist of all time, regardless of color. So. How did that make its way around? And how were you, and what was the first, I guess, who was the first Motown artist that you heard that it said, oh, wow, they're really, really good? Oh, wow. Um, I remember, um, let me see now. We're going to go back a minute. Mm-hmm. I remember my friend, uh, my good, good friend, I love him dearly. He's passed on now, Larry. Uncle Larry. Indeed. Yeah, uh, one of the greatest DJs there ever. Yes, ladies and gentlemen. By, and let me just say this: if you ever Google any, if you if you talk about legendary um, DJs out of the state of New Jersey, there's Tony Humphreys and all these others. But if you if you Google Larry Patterson, yeah. he's one of the greatest DJs that ever lived, yeah. especially out of this area. Just wanted to give him a huge shout out. Yes, rest in peace, Uncle Larry. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, he and I went to school together, and Larry used to listen to radio way late at night, and, and he came, you know, to the house one day running with his little transistor radio, you know, and uh, all we had then was Cousin Brucey, you know, WABC, 77 on the dial, <laughs> and he would listen to radio late at night, and somehow he could pick up during the night, overnight, he could pick up music um, from the Detroit, Chicago area. Mm, And he was telling me about this song that he heard. Um, It was the Supremes, Where Did Our Love Go? And I knew about the song before it actually, you know, before we actually got it here in Jersey, by him telling me about it um, late at night that he would hear it. You know, somehow, you know, those dials and buttons and what have you, right. you know, would cross over. And he would hear it like one, two o'clock in the morning. And I tried it, you know, 
and uh, it was difficult for me to stay up that late, but I did it, and sure enough, uh, the Supremes went, baby, 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 don't leave me. Yeah. And so I could hear that. We heard that, and even the four tops. Um, I, I can't think of the, the, the song right now that I want to think of, but, you know, just to name a couple of coming out of Detroit, uh, it was it was amazing because it was a it was a new sound. It was a different kind of sound, and it was like wow. You could hear the drummer. You know, it was a certain sound that Motown had with that drummer. It was something about that drummer in Motown. You was like, oh yeah, that that's a Motown sound right there. Mm -hmm. So you know, just listening to the Four Tops and 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 even Smokey. Ooh, baby, baby. I mean, this is a few years later. But I mean, just shop around was the was that song that he had out during the miracles, right? You know, shop around. My mama told me you better shop around. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So this was a kind of you know something else that was going on, you know, and uh, we just kind of latched on to it. By the time you know it got to, to New York and New Jersey, you know, you know, we were already grooving to it. You know, we knew about it already. But it was a good sound, a great sound, and wow. And then here comes little Stevie Wonder with fingertips. Oh my goodness gracious. It was like this little guy was, I think, 12 at the time. And, you know, who could even begin to imagine you know, somebody uh, with a harmonica and with a voice like that, and da, 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 da. it was it was just phenomenal. So you know, it it was a good time for us. You know, it was really a really a good time. We, you know, began to dance, and um, here comes Martha and the Vandellas with Heat Wave and Quicksand and all of that. I mean, honestly, it was just growing up for me. You know, in those uh, mid sixties was was phenomenal. It was it was great. It was really great. There were so many things in the '60s that I think yeah. helped. It, it both in so many aspects of society, music especially, I thought helped usher in so much down the road. But yeah. I think Motown, I felt, was the anchor that really held it all together. Because I mean, it was I mean that was a roster that is legendary that I don't think we'll ever see again of so many talented individuals, so many talented groups that held that their came, own. Yeah, that came out of Motown. Mary Wells. Mm -hmm. Oh, my goodness. Mary Wells, my guy. And, uh, it takes two. Um, you know, I mean, all of the Marvin Gaye, Tammy Terrell. I mean, you know, it, it, was, it was legendary. You know, that can, I don't believe, can ever be reproduced. No. No, no, no. I, I don't think so either. So, now that you're, you know, you're you're consuming a lot of music. There's Motown. There's all these other artists that you listen to. So, let's talk about when you started to take this music thing seriously. And it's, as far as your career is concerned, how did it come to be? Now, did you join the Pretenders? How did the, the Pretenders become? How did that happen? Well, actually, what happened? Larry and I began singing together ourselves. You know, we you know we hit what we called back during those days the Chitlin Circuit. Exactly. Uh huh. You know, we were going to you know the little uh, the bars. You know, and we always had that back room. You know, there are only some people who pay you know their their few dollars to get in the back room to see the talent. 
you know, that was going on. Mm -hmm. So Larry and I, you know, we, we hit the, the streets and we auditioned and, you know, we would get with whatever the band was that was playing, you know, in the back room, you know, we would, uh, you know, rehearse with them and, um, you know, we'd have a night, we'd, we'd sing and, and what happened, uh, someone heard us, saw us, I should say, saw us singing and, um, and said that there was a spot that was open with uh, some guys who, you know, were singing and they were looking for a girl. And they asked me, would I be interested in uh, taking that spot? And I was like, oh, I don't know, I don't know. Mm -hmm. You know, butterflies started to hit my belly at that time. You know, because I was just used to my friend. I was used to, you know, singing with Larry. And um, got together with the guys and we did do, uh, you know, we sat and we talked and, you know, as to where they wanted to go, you know, what they wanted to do. And so, you know, we, we began rehearsing, you know, at my house. And uh, we would rehearse every, I think, every Monday evening and, you know, for like three, four hours or something. And then, boom. You know, we started out and we would do the same thing, make that Chitlin Market move and, you know, talk to whoever the the, the band leader was, at, you know, that, that was playing at that particular room, uh, that back room or club. Um, you know, we would set up, you know, a time we could rehearse and then boom. Let me ask you this, though, mm -hmm. before we go any further. So when you and, Larry, when you and Uncle Larry were... were um doing your thing, you know, as far as going to the bars. Now, was this original pieces you guys were doing, or was it more or less some of the stuff you were doing more or less doing covers? And even with the Pretenders in the beginning, was it all original stuff in the beginning, or was you guys doing a lot of covers? No, it was a lot of covers. I mean, you know, with Uncle Larry, as you call, mm -hmm. you know, we did a Chain, 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 you know, with um, Aretha Franklin. We did a Knock on Wood, Eddie Floyd. I never better knock, 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 you know. Oh, would you know? He would take a part, and I would take a part, um, and we did something by um, Otis Redding as well. Mm -hmm. You know, Tramp, and he and uh, oh, I can't remember her name right now. But we did, uh, you know, we did, you know, we did a lot of cover stuff, you know. But we did a lot of, uh, you know, put a little act into it, you know. Right. Um, and and Larry and I danced together, so in a lot of these stage appearances that we did we did some dance and we had some dance moves that went along mm, with that okay. oh yeah 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 we used to cut her up child. <laughs> <laughs> until we we had fun we did you know we did fun stuff you know we enjoyed what we did and, and it and it was just natural right you know, it just came natural nobody had any dancing lessons, nobody had any singing lessons. We just did just raw talent. What came naturally, you know, to us. Yeah. And we had fun and we enjoyed it. You know what we did. Yeah. So by the time um we came to the, be the pretenders, we actually had a name that we used, we called ourselves the explosions. Hmm. Yeah. And we had a guy uh, his name was Toby, and Toby had a two-string guitar, but you're talking about somebody that could play something with a two-string guitar, and he he made music, and 
what he did, he said, I'm going to set up something for you guys so when you guys perform, you know, they're going to introduce you with this. And he was so gifted until he could listen to uh, airplane take off because where he lived was close to the airport. Mm -hmm. And when the airplane would take off, he would somehow get that sound from the airplane, you know, like, mm -hmm. boom. And that would be our come on, you know, as you know, this now, ladies and gentlemen, put your hands together for the explosions. And he put that sound on and boom, that was our intro, you know, and it was it was just amazing. Um, and we so we called ourselves the explosions. And so by the time, you know, uh, we did get to uh, now Carnival Records. Uh, with Joe Evans, who was the president at that time, uh, he was the owner of Carnival Records. Um, we searched out a name, and I think it was Joe that came up with the name Pretenders. You know, that's how we got the name. Wow! So, as you all were beginning to, you know, to to gel, you know, as a group, because obviously during this time, I would imagine that it was another band or, or group with three guys and a girl, Gladys Knight and the Pips. Mm -hmm. Now, was that the the direction that you all wanted to go in was a similar, like a similar act, or were you all trying to carve your own path and do your own thing? Well, it was it was a starter. It was a starter, and and knowing that Gladys and and and, and the Pips were out there, you know, um, you know, so hey, yeah, you know, why not? You know, why not go for it? And we did Grapevine, and and the guys, you know, they did their routine and what have you. So we did do. Um, Heard it through the grapevine, and I mean, we would rip it up. <laughs> mm. We would rip, oh my goodness gracious. And then we did some um, some slower stuff. Um, Steal Away uh, was, I think it was a gentleman by the name of Jimmy Hughes that sang, I want to see you somehow. And, and, and but it was just Jimmy, but at the same time, you know, the guys, they were able to choreograph and, and, you know, put a little background thing to it. So, we, you know, we were just reaching. You know, we just wanted to sing. You know, um, the guys would make up the, uh, the routines that we used to call it back then, you know, choreograph right. some stuff. But, um, you know, we, we just, whatever was out there that we figured we could do, we, we did. We just did. We went for it. So when it came down to obviously, so was you said Carnival Records. So were there any other? Because you know, like a lot nowadays. I mean, there's so many you know labels out there and everything. I I even have my own, which is again I only produce myself. Yeah. But there's other. There's so many different labels out there. So were there any other labels outside of Carnival that were interested in in the Pretenders, or was there was that more or less the the goal was signing with them? Well, we were introduced to them. Um, by some, I can't remember the gentleman's name who told us, you know, that uh, perhaps Joe was, you know, might be interested, might be might. interested, right. you know, in um, producing, uh, you know, a group, you know, why don't you go over, talk to him and, you know, see what comes of it. So, you know, we, you know, we were able to make contact with him and we went over, he sat down and 
we discussed with him, you know, what, what it was that we wanted to do. And, mm-hmm. you know, he was a bit reluctant. I, I don't want to get into uh, the particulars now as to as to why, but he was a bit reluctant at, uh, at first. But um, Joe had a, a, a great musical background himself. I think he was a trombone player at mm-hmm. one time and he was very familiar with the, the, the Count Basie era and, you know, um, so, you know, he knew about Motown. I think he did some um, uh, background stuff, you know, at Motown, you know, with musician work, I should say, right. you know, at, uh, at Motown at one time. So, you know, he had music in his blood, in his veins as well. And I, I think he saw the hunger that, uh, that we had, and, and he decided to give us an opportunity to, you know, to, to go for it. You know, he said he was willing to, you know, to help us as much as he could. So, and he did that. Wow, that's awesome. This episode of the DLU podcast is brought to you by Goalie Nutrition. As someone who's used Goalie for quite some time, I can tell you that they're not only very good, but they're very beneficial. My favorite are the Super Green Gummies. The Super Green Gummies are uniquely crafted with a spectrum of essential nutrients such as vitamins A, B12, folic acid, and theamine. It supports a healthy liver function, healthy nervous and immune system, digestive health, a boost to your metabolism, and overall health and well-being. There are no artificial sweeteners, flavors, or colors from artificial sources. They're vegan-friendly, gluten-free, and gelatin-free. All loyal listeners of the DLU podcast get a special 10% discount at checkout. Go to Goalie.com, use promo code D-L-E-W. That's Goalie.com, use promo code D-L-E-W. So now that you now you've, you signed the contract, and now, is it okay, are we going to go out and perform at first? Or is this more or less, okay, we're going to start working on music for a potential release? What was the order? I guess, how did that all come to be at that time? Well, we were still, uh, you know, we would still get a gig here and there, wherever we could. You know, we were still gigging, you know, you know, uh, we were still doing that chitlin circuit. uh, So where were some of the places, speaking of that circuit, so were they more or less local or did you guys have to travel outside of the area in some of those circuits that were in other cities or even other states? Actually, um, everything was basically local, but once we did get with uh, Carnival, we did do a gig in in Philly. I don't remember where it was, Um, but I do remember um, performing with the Stylistics. Oh, wow. They, um, I don't know who had top billing at the time. I think we, I think, the, uh, I think the stylistics had top billing at that. They had uh, out, uh, you're a big girl now. To show you how far back we're going. We're going, <laughs> you're, a, you're a big girl now, no more daddy's little girl. And at that time, we had out, uh, I want to be, you know. And uh, I think they had the top billing, uh, you know, on that. So we did uh, get a chance to meet the stylistics, you know. It was someplace in, in Philadelphia where the club was. I, I just do not recall, you know, where it was. But, um, you know, we did have an opportunity to do that. We went out to Pittsburgh at one time as well. And, 
did something out there, you know. So, you know, wherever we could, you know, get something, you know, wherever we could get a gig going, you know, we, 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 we would go. Creatively, when we talk about, you know, ideas for songs and ideas for, you know, all these other things. How, with the four of you, how were you all able to compromise the scars or who's writing lyrics or who's coming up with all these different ideas to put out at some point? Well, it was basically Joe. You know, it was it was you know Joe's stuff. You know that uh, that we did, and uh, some stuff had already been recorded, and we went to the studio and just kind of uh, he just kind of rearranged some things. Um, the music was already there, and uh, he had ownership of the music. So you know he just you know lowered this sound, brought this out more you know, put the piano down a little bit more or whatever, you know, and just kind of change some stuff from the original content from what it was. And uh, um, so I Want to Be had been recorded by uh, another group at one time. So it was it was changed up a bit. Um, it, they had one male lead singer with the other group. But when we, by the time we did I Want to Be, it was a boy-girl. Mm. Boy girl kind of thing. It right. was changed up a bit. And it was different. It was more up tempo than it had been originally uh recorded. By the time we did I Call It Love again, that had been recorded by another male group and um it was all rearranged. That was all Joe's, you know, uh, that was his magic. That's what he did, you know. So but we had fun. We made we, we, we did some th- good things with that. Mm. Now, when that was released, I Call It Love, what was the fanfare like, you know, once that record was released? And what was in regards to notoriety and all those other things that you all were able to garner, you know, as you guys were beginning to perform out and, you know, perform here, perform there? How was that? Oh, it was it, it was an exciting time. I mean, you know, uh, quite naturally, uh, you know, Hometown uh, group makes good, you know. Um, I remember uh, we—I don't know if you well, you wouldn't remember, but Palisades Park was opened, and uh, at that time, and we performed at Palisades Park, you know, live, and so it was—it was something exciting, you know, something different, you know, for us. It was like, wow, we we're here, you know, mm-hmm. uh, we're, we're actually performing live with our own recording with our own sound and um, something that you only dream of, you know, but wow, you know, you somehow kind of got to pinch yourself. Pinch yourself, yeah. You know, totally understand. This, this this is really real. This is really happening, you know, and so it was, it was exciting. It really was. Talk about the camaraderie with the four of you. Talk about that a little bit and what that means to you now in retrospect when you talk about, you know, just, I mean, if you have a funny story and just, just with the relationship that you have with all of the members of the group. Oh, they were funny. You talk about three funny guys. I mean, they were, they were hilarious, but they were, they were fun. You know, there was sometimes I wanted to beat them down. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, because they were, I mean, they were 
three funny guys who were mischievous in, in certain ways. You know, I remember when we went to when we went to Pittsburgh, um, two of them um, disappeared. I mean, not from the gig, but you know, after the gig, and the other guy and myself, we didn't know where they were. You know, and so when they finally you know got back, you know, well, where you guys been? You know, and we were ready to go. You know, right. You know, so those are. Like I said, you know, there were mischievous moments. They were, but we had our serious times, you know, and and we understood, uh, you know, as as a group, you know, what we wanted to do, what we wanted to accomplish, and uh, and and everybody was on board with that, you know, the seriousness of what had to be done and what needed to be done. You know, everybody was on board. Yeah. Now, during that time, though, you know, when you talk about women in music, you know, you could talk about your Gladys Knight, you could talk about your, you know, Aretha Franklin's Diana Ross, as she was starting to branch off, because, you know, obviously her brand and where she was going, Patti LaBelle, and there's Tina Turner, there's Mm -hmm. all these different women. Were there some of them that you looked at as a reference in regards to where you wanted to go musically? To be honest with you, I don't think so. Mm-hmm. Um, I was never one, I mean, even in my own personal life, I was never one to want it to say copy. Mm-hmm. Um, something else or someone else. I, I, I always liked to, to be original, mm-hmm. you know, whatever. I might glean an idea that's what I meant. That's what I meant. Right. Yeah. An idea, yeah. And then take it on, you know, to something else. Yeah, I think that that, you know, can happen and does happen. And it did happen, you know, uh, with me as far as um, Diana Ross is concerned. I liked, I liked her stylish, uh, her glamour, you know. So yeah. I would say the, the glamour in so, you know, for me, glamour was, you know, was tops. You know, whatever you could bring on that was going to be stylish, that was going to be, uh, you know, the glamour, the hair, you know, the makeup, the you know, whatever. Yes, that was very important. Absolutely, absolutely important. Yeah. Now, the second part of that question, though, did you see a solo career blossoming from catapulted from the success you had with the Pretenders? You know, that is a good question. It was something that um, kind of marinated in my mind. But I, to be honest with you, I don't know if I really wanted to take that leap or not. Mm-hmm. I didn't do it. You know, but I didn't, uh, I didn't have any plans on it, doing it either. It was like I said, it's something that that you know that you might think about. Right. But um I never did take that step forward to, you know, actually do it. Yeah. I was kind of I think I was kind of um kind of settling in and 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 getting accustomed to just being out there, you know, with the three guys. Um, 
but I never did take that that leap, you know, to 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 make that to go forward with it. I didn't. Now you brought to the interview a copy of the actual contract that you signed, which I'm I'm floored that you even brought this because again I had no idea you were going to do this, but. This is the original, and what date is that? It was it February tenth, nineteen seventy? Wow, yeah. unbelievable! So, yeah. and we can backtrack a little bit. When you had that, when literally, what was going through your head at the time? When you're like, I actually have a recording contract in my hand. I'm about to sign. I had, you know, it was, <laughs> it was amazing. I was like, I can't believe I'm doing this. <laughs> And the signature is right there, yeah. The last page. Yeah, the last page right there. Yeah, yeah. The signatures, you know, of each of us. And Unbelievable. And the witness and the president of Carnival Records. Yeah. So it was like, oh my goodness, <laughs> I'm actually doing this, yeah. you know? There again, it was a pinch moment. Right. <laughs> now, I remember, because um, I had never heard... I call it love. I used to sing it around the house a lot of times, you know, I was growing up and stuff. But I think the first time that I actually had to hear it and to hear the song in context was when I had, I went online. This is, oh my gosh, this is going over 20, 21 years ago now. And there was a site called cdnow.com, which is, which was got bought out by Amazon. Mm -hmm. And I saw your CD on there for sale and I called you right away I said mom you're not going to believe what I, what I found he was like what and I said your CD and I said you're on the cover you're like what wow. <laughs> and I remember buying me a copy and you a copy mm-hmm. you know what I mean so for me you know that was I don't want to say validation but the fact that hey my mom did this too <laughs> so it was a very proud moment for me as your son and I hadn't even thought, I mean, I had ideas of getting into this business, you know, right. but I never really like acted upon it. Right. But the fact that, you know, I got to see it and I'm like, man, so now, and, and now in, you know, in the year 2024, when you, when you see where I call it love is on Apple music or iTunes, how does that make you feel knowing that potentially 40 million people can find the pretenders and listen to you and your music from that time. It's amazing to me because that is something that I never even thought would even exist. I mean, you know, I just, I, wow. I mean, we're looking at from 1970 to 2024, right? you know, and uh, that's, it's incredible. You know, it's, it's really incredible. I had no idea. And when you were telling me about this, I'm like, what, what are you talking about? You know, yeah. But I had no idea. I, I really, really, really did. I think it was a compilation of, of, of different artists that was right. uh, also um, at Carnival or had been with Carnival, you know, at, at one time. So it was it was amazing. But to, to see that um, photo of us, the, the, the actual photo that we had um, had taken um, in the studio, um, had gone to a photographer in um, in New York, and uh, but to see that actual picture on uh, 
on the compact disc cover. It was it was like shocking. It yeah. Was really so obviously, you know, there was a time where you actually ended up, you did leave the group. Yeah. And yeah. I believe Pat Tandy took your place at yes. that time. Yes. Shout out to uh, the legendary Pat Tandy, Pat, who was yeah. a dear, dear Madam friend of the, Pat Madam Pat Tandy. Yeah. Absolutely. She's yeah. still out there performing, guys. Yes. Follow yes. her on uh, Facebook. She's out there still performing and yep. still living the dream. But yeah. what was the deciding factor of you were trying to wind everything down in regards to Pretenders? How how was it or just more or less the process of all of that? It uh, it wasn't easy. I put it that way. It was not easy. You know, here I had spent some time with uh, these three guys, and uh, and here was the president of, of of Carnival Records, and not wanting to uh, bring about any disappointment. But um, I had gotten married, and I, I just, I, I had a decision to make. I mean, you know, there are sometimes things are difficult. Very, you know, very. You know, but it comes down to um, what, what's the most important thing. Agreed. You know, and I decided, well, I, I've got, this is not easy, but I've got to make a decision. And I made the decision to... To leave the group, you know, I, there was no gentle, easy way to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, the guys were, they were terribly disappointed, you know, and um, and so was the president of, of Carnival, you know, he was disappointed, but um, they listened to me, you know, they listened to what I had to say. And um, I, I had gotten married and, I, you know, wanted to raise a family, you know, and... Um, and that was more, for me, that was more important, you know, was to, um, for, for my husband and, to, and to, to start a family. And that's what I chose to do. Well, I tell you, you know, from my perspective, mm-hmm. you know, as we, as we close out here, yeah. um, this, like I said, this was one of the, one of the coolest things I, got, I, got, I get to do. Because as many stories as, you know, you've, you've, you've told me in conversation over the years, you know, as many, you know, just, you know, funny little tidbits or whatever the case, yeah, yeah. I never really had an opportunity to really sit down with you and just talk about this part of your life. Wow. Because, you know, you were telling me to eat my vegetables and stuff like that growing <laughs> up, you know what I mean? Like all those things, clean your room and all that other stuff, yeah, get your good yeah, grades yeah, and all that. But yeah, yeah. the fact that, now that you know i i'm embarking on a path that you know you know my dad and and you kind of laid the groundwork which i didn't even realize mm-hmm. how monumental that is and i remember you know when i first started acting you know i i i wanted to get i i didn't know if music was ever going to be a thing for me but i know the acting thing i always wanted to do and I remember once I had in my, made up in my mind that I wanted to kind of embark on the music thing, I mainly, and I think I may have told you this, I don't know if you remember now, but I said, I want to continue where you left off. Wow. <laughs> because I, 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 and again, I'm not saying this, guys, because this is my mom. Well, I'm kind of saying this because it's my mom. But I felt, had she continued her career that she would have been along the same lines as some of those legendary artists I mentioned earlier. 
Gladys Knight, Patti LaBelle, because she had the talent to do it. You know what I mean? She chose to, you know, to you know, to walk away to raise a family, which again, I'm super grateful that you sacrificed your career <laughs> for me and uh, Erica there, but and, and Dad. But at the same time, to to understand the hit the true the history of where I come from, mm-hmm. I, I knew about you know Dad and all that other stuff. That's that's cool. Went right. to the dude, went on to the, the thing with the the world famous drifters, and that's awesome. Right. But I felt as though that there is still a big piece that needed to be covered. And I am so grateful that we got to do that because, again, wow. it's a, it'll, it will forever be a part of my legacy. Yeah. Okay. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, the pretenders will always be a part of what, what I'm doing today. So every time I release music, I always do a pitch ditch of one of my dad's records, my mom's album cover. My album cover and a picture of the three of us on the beach when oh, I was about wow. seven oh, years old. Oh. And it's more or less our letter to my parents, you know, saying more or less thank you because mm-hmm. the amount of music that I that consumed that that consumed my life as a child, yeah. it, it it I can't I can't even tell you there were times during the summer where my mom would be at work or whatever the case that I would be listening to records all day long <laughs> because the music was there. So Oh yeah, we did have. We did. We did have plenty. Music. Absolutely. So when a lot of times when people call me an old soul, I'm like, well, I had my mom to thank because the all all of the information, all of the you know the the the, the knowledge and everything and understanding the different sounds as my mom had alluded to early in the interview about picking up just little things. Mm-hmm. You know, again, it's a part of my legacy. So, mm-hmm. mom, I thank you for um, joining. This episode of the Deluxe Podcast, I um, I advise all of you to go stream my mom's music um, on Apple Music. If you want to buy it, it's on iTunes. Go support the cause. Appreciate it. And um, that's it. So I love you, Mom. I uh, love you very, very much. You too, and um, and um, <laughs> thank you so much. You and got thank you. I mean, I, I, when you told me you were... You know, did you want me to do this? I was like, what? You know, you want me to be on the podcast? Oh, my goodness. So I am, you know, I'm just delighted, you know, to to be a part of this and to be a part of what you are doing. And I am extremely proud of you. And I do love you dearly. I really do. Thank you, Mike. And thank you. <laughs> you got it. Well, that does it for this week's edition of the DLU Podcast. Once again, I want to give a huge thank you to my mom, Valerie Lewis, for coming on to the show to talk about everything regarding her music career that she had. And I am beyond appreciative of our family, our heritage, our everything. And when people ask me about my knowledge of um, all type of music genres and different eras and things of that nature, that nature, I have, I'm getting choked up even talking about it, but I thank my mom, you know what I mean? Because she really opened up a lot of uh, doors for me in the sense of understanding, you know, different things, you know, over the years. So um, thank you, mom. I love you very, very much. And um, I hope that your future grandkids can hear this episode someday. But anyways, before we get out of here, I want to remind you all once again, hit that subscribe button, regardless of which platform that you're on. If you're listening to this episode, so you can get all new content 
All right? Every Thursday morning, there is a new, at least a new show every Thursday morning at 6 a.m. Eastern Time. Again, I have a song out called Espacion with Angie Stars. You can hear that record. You can stream it on all platforms. The music video is on four platforms. There's Tidal, Apple Music, Vivo app, and there is YouTube. My social media, again, all platforms. You can hit me at The Real DT Lou. Facebook is Derek T. Lewis official page. Now, I know I end every episode with always remember to make it count, and I want you all to continue to do that. But this week's going to be a little bit different. Here with their single, I Call It Love, here are the pretenders on Believe Network. Still say it's love. 